You may be seated. I welcome you to worship this morning. My name is Kevin Johnson. I'm pastor here at Macedonia United Methodist Church. It is indeed a joy to welcome you. I was reminded this weekend, um, it, it just hit me again, the significance, of, the significance of what we are doing here when we gather together in worship. And I think sometimes uh, if, if, if you're someone who's in church a lot of weeks and you've been maybe a lot of weeks in your life, um, it is something that we can take for granted so quickly. Um, but to remember the significance of what we do. When we sing a song like we just did that seems like high hyperbole, 10,000 reasons and 10,000 years, and we can't even think that high, and yet we realize that, um, that the extent of God's love towards us is even greater than that that what we do when we come together is worship the God of the universe, that that's what we come to do uh, and, and engage together in worship, uh, that, that's an incredible thing. And I think sometimes I know for myself, uh, I take it for granted. Uh, my, the amount that I am, quote, into it or engaged is sometimes dependent upon um, my attitude and or lack of sleep um, or whatever else is going on. And I just encourage you that as we come into the space and as we worship together, not just today, but, but all of the time, that one of your prayers would become, God, help me not take it for granted that I get to do this, that we get to do this as a community together, uh, that we get to be shaped and formed and changed uh, as, as, as we worship the God of the universe together and get to proclaim and rejoice in the salvation that we have in Jesus. I mean, what an amazing thing. And, um, and, and, and it's a joy to be able to, to somehow be part of, of getting the privilege of leading you to do that uh, is, is, a, is a joy for me. And so, so I just want to share that with you this morning. We're in the book of Matthew today uh, in this first, this first Sunday of Lent as we read about the temptation of Jesus. I invite you to hear these words from Matthew 4. Then the Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. The tempter came to him and said, Since you are God's son, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, It's written, People won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. After that, the devil brought him into the holy city and stood him at the highest point of the temple. He said to him, Since you are God's son, throw yourself down. For it is written, I will command my angels concerning you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus replied, again, it's written, don't test the Lord your God. Then the devil brought him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, I'll give you all these if you bow down and worship me. Jesus responded, go away, Satan. Because it's written, you will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil left him and angels came and took care of him. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O oh Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, it feels like there's a sense of inevitability in this encounter. 
like a soldier who has to go through the pain of boot camp, like a football player at two-a-days in the scorching August heat. There is something about being the son of God that requires a temptation in the wilderness. Who else had to go through the wilderness? None other but the true son of God before Israel. And Israel failed miserably in the wilderness, wandering around and around after worshiping other gods. After not relying upon the only God who could give them life and sustenance and take them to the promised land. So Jesus fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. For as long as it rained upon the earth during the great flood, Jesus fasted in preparation. Israel wandered for 40 years in the desert because they could not handle the temptation. Jesus, the new Moses, is here though. And we are going to see how he handles this great test. And we are told the obvious that after 40 days straight of not eating anything, that he was starving. So the tempter, the Satan, the devil, comes onto the scene. Since you are God's son, command these stones to become bread. Can you imagine how hungry Jesus was? I'm hungry if I miss lunch. And here Jesus is, 40 days of fasting later, and he has the power to turn stones into bread. He could just do it. The first temptation is not about if Jesus is the Son of God. The devil is not questioning that really. He knows it. Instead, it is about what it means that Jesus is the Son of God. Will he use power to take over the kingdom of this world and be the Messiah that people anticipated? Will he do it the easy way and by force? Jesus responds directly with words of Scripture, those words from Deuteronomy that he has taken from heart. It's written, people won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. Bread would have been so very good in this situation. Yet Jesus is able to see that there is something better than bread. And even though he will later turn five loaves of bread into food for 5,000, today he does not succumb to a ministry of forced power. Henry Nowen Nowen reflects this. He says, Jesus has a different vision of maturity It is the ability and willingness to be led where you would rather not go. The way of the Christian leader is not the way of upward mobility in which our world has invested so much, but the way of downward mobility ending on a cross. I am speaking of a leadership in which power is constantly abandoned in favor of love. Downward mobility is what Jesus will demonstrate time and time again. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Whoever would be first among you must make himself to be a servant. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so also should you wash others' feet. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Time and time again, Jesus has to abandon this way of power in his ministry of downward mobility. He has to take on suffering because he sees it differently. Friends, our world tries to avoid suffering at all costs. Jesus takes on suffering because he sees what happens through his suffering. So Jesus and Satan somehow make a trip up to the top of the temple then. And who quotes the scriptures to Jesus? Of course, the devil himself. Come on, jump off, Jesus. Show that God will protect you. After all, it's written, I will command my angels concerning you, and they will take you up in their hands so you won't hit your foot against a stone. And the devil is correct in his quotation of scripture. He is going to play Jesus' very game with him. It is written. 
Wow. Even the devil can use scripture for his own purposes. All throughout Jesus' ministry, the leaders of the various sects of the Pharisees and the scribes are going to challenge Jesus. They'll say things like, It is written, you shall do no work on the Sabbath. It is written, a woman caught in adultery must be stoned. It is written, only God can forgive sins. It is written becomes the hashtag of the Pharisees against Jesus. They were likely well-intentioned and well-meaning leaders who were charged with the keeping of the law. They have been trained in its interpretation. And yet, throughout the gospel, Satan will not appear directly as Jesus' enemy any longer. These leaders, these Pharisees, these scribes, take the place of Satan, trying to get Jesus to bend to their will and interpret as they interpret. So Jesus responds again, it's written, don't test the Lord your God. Jesus never does something just because he can. He will only use his power when it appropriately demonstrates the will of God. Jesus sees the jumping off the temple and making a wild demonstration of his power when he lands unscathed on the ground is not what he is on earth for. He did not go around like a magician pulling rabbits out of hats. He went around demonstrating the kingdom of God in people's midst. When he healed the sick or cast out demons or fed the multitudes or raised the dead, it was all pointing to the reality that God's kingdom is here now. His miracles were always a reminder. The way of death has no sway here. So the devil sweeps away Jesus to location number three, a high mountain where they could see everything around all the way to the ends of the earth. And Satan tempts Jesus with power. Jesus could rule over all of the kingdoms of the world, but would have to do it in conjunction with the devil's kingship. He would have to bow and worship this created being, which is at the heart of everything that Israel did wrong in the desert. They worshiped a golden calf that they made while Moses was on the mountain with God, getting the law. All of Jesus' quotations back to the devil are based in the root sin of Israel in the desert. So he quotes commandment number one, and for the first time adds his own words, go away, Satan, because it's written, you will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Knockout punch. Go away, Satan. Jesus will not be veered off track. He will not succumb. Had Jesus gone the way of Satan here, we would not be following him. His entire mission would have gone off track and he would have submitted to the will, to the lures of idolatry instead of to the obedience to his father. Admittedly today, we aren't sure just how to talk about Satan. When I learned this little light of mine as a kid, I learned that verse, don't let Satan it out. Right, you might have learned that one, okay? And now when I teach it, I'm sorry to say, and I say don't let anyone it out because I don't want to talk to a three-year-old about Satan necessarily, okay? And so, but that's, that's what I do. Discussion about Satan can be misconstrued. On one hand, people can give Satan way too much credit and power as if the devil himself is personally orchestrating temptations for them, just like he does to Jesus in this section. On the other hand, people might drop language of Satan altogether and lose the very notion of real evil. Friends, the language about Satan allows us to imagine an evil 
that is greater than any one of us can individually imagine. It is a systemic evil that overtakes. When we think about the awful isms of our world, Nazism, racism, sexism, militarism, nationalism, all of these are perpetuated not just by individuals acting under compulsion of the devil, but by participating in systems that are outright evil, systems of the Satan. N.T. Wright describes it this way in his work, Evil and the Justice of God. The height of, of the Satan's aim, in other words, is death the death of humans, and the death of creation itself. The means that the Satan has chosen to bring the world and humans to death is sin. And sin is the rebellion of humankind against the vocation to reflect God's image into the world. The refusal to worship God the Creator and the replacement of that worship and that vocation with the worship of elements of the created order and the loss of image-bearing humanness which inevitably results. Death is not an arbitrary punishment for sin. It is its necessary consequence, since the turning away from the living God, which constitutes idolatry, is the spiritual equivalent of a diver cutting off his own breathing tube. Friends, when Satan wanted to achieve, what he wanted to achieve at Jesus' temptation was death. The stopping of God Almighty's rescue plan for humanity and creation in some sense, idolatry is always the sin that breaks us. All of our sins, all of our vices can find a home in idolatry. We trade the truth of God for a lie. We worship the created instead of the creator. N.T. Wright explains it. He says, when we humans commit idolatry, worshiping that which is not God as if it were, we thereby give to other creatures and beings in the cosmos a power, a prestige, an authority over us which we, under God, were supposed to have over them. When you worship an idol, whatever it is, you abdicate something of your own proper human authority over the world and give it instead to that thing, whatever it is. Friends, the problem is not that we think too highly of ourselves. It is that we don't think of ourselves highly enough as the image bearers of God. C.S. Lewis famously said it this way, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. The humility of Jesus is not an admission that he is somehow less than God. He is instead showing us what the heart of God is. The heart of God is not power-hungry or short-sighted. Sometimes in my wonderings about God, I have questioned why God desires all of our worship as if God is somehow needy or selfish. But friends, God does not need our worship. We need to worship God. When we don't, when we place any created thing in God's place, we have cut ourselves off from the source of life. God knows that and is protecting us. The Ten Commandments, the law, all of it is an attempt to keep humanity in a right and restored relationship to God. The heart of God is willing to come to earth as a human and redeem that which we have broken. 
and he will face the enemy straight on and beat him at his own game. Death. Go away, Satan. Go away, death-dealing monsters. Go away, illusions of power at the expense of others. Go away, short-sighted gains. Go away, self that rejoices in others' pain. Go away, fear that induces callousness. Go away, pain that is absorbed into loneliness. Go away, Satan. Get behind me. Go away. Let us pray. Lord, we need that example of Jesus. that pushes away all of the allures of temptation, that pushes away the immediate in favor of the eternal. God, that pushes away temptations towards idolatry and instead takes up worship of the eternal God forever. God, I pray that as we see that example of Jesus, we would see ourselves somehow, that we would understand that we are, that we are capable, Lord, of much more than the idolatry that we settle for. And God, that you have given us a tall order in being those who are created in your image and can bear that image in the world. Lord, I pray that you would help us daily during this time of Lent and beyond to be able to say, go away, Satan. Get thee behind me, as we might have said many years ago. And that we would instead take up, take up our cross along with Jesus, knowing that that is the way that leads indeed to life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.